You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, it's good to be back for another Victory Monday. It's, I mean, I could get used to it is all I'm saying. It's just, I'm just grateful, you know? It doesn't have to be this way. There's nothing that says that we had to beat Detroit. There's nothing that says that we have to be a 10-3 and team. There's nothing that says that we had to win the division to be the number one seed in the NFC. It doesn't have to be this way. I'm grateful to be podcasting for a team like the Green Bay Packers because I know how dependent what I do is on the success of the Packers. I mean, just, just from the standpoint of not just, not only... Are the numbers on this show through the roof when we win and in the toilet when we lose? But think about the fact that we get playoffs. And not only does that mean the podcast numbers stay up, but Packernet.com gets another basically full month of revenue. Because in the off season, it's nothing. In the regular season, it ain't bad for just sitting there. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, I, I, I got the easiest job in the world in that I get to cheerlead the team and then, you know, nitpick stupid stuff. But, uh, you know, I take my hat off to, you know, Lions podcasters and YouTubers and, I mean, everybody, Bears. There's so much misery. I think especially this year, there there really is, I mean, you want to talk about haves and have-nots. I, I don't remember really seeing something quite like this year where there's such a definitive line between the good teams and the bad teams. Usually, there's sort of a gradient, right? You've got just a, a, a line that goes pretty smoothly downward. This year, it's like you've got the, the top end that slopes down slightly, then a massive drop-off, and then another slope, and then another massive drop-off. I was, I was thinking about that when I was looking at some of the teams and, and, you know, how many times we hear, well, they haven't played anybody. Nobody has played anybody. You know why? Because there's only a handful of good teams in the NFL right now. And so it doesn't matter what team you look at, they're beaten up on the Giants, they're beaten up on Dallas, they're beaten up on Houston, they're beaten up on Denver, they're beaten up on the Jets, they're beaten up on Washington, they're beaten up on Philly, they're beaten up on Atlanta, they're beaten up on Detroit. I mean, really, I'm, I'm looking at this playoff picture, and it's like the amount of teams that just suck. The Texans, the Chargers, the Falcons, the Bengals, the Jaguars, and the Jets, they're all out of the playoffs. Those teams are terrible. The teams that are still in contention, the four and nine Panthers, the four and nine Cowboys, the four eight and one Eagles, the five and eight Giants—they're all trash. The 49ers have been trash. The Broncos are terrible. The Lions are horrible. The Patriots have been terrible. The Bears are a joke. I mean, it's just there's so many bad teams. And then even like the sort of mid-tier teams—they're not that scary. The Raiders, the Ravens, the Cardinals, the Dolphins—just nothing. So, I mean, you know, you've got the guys in the playoffs. They're, for the most part, good teams, with the exception of Washington or whatever team from that division is going to be in. Maybe another team from the NFC, you know, if the Cardinals get in, I don't know that they're a very good team. Kind of maybe iffy on the Dolphins, I guess. I don't, but, you know, you start talking about it. I mean, it's it's the Packers, it's the Saints, it's the Steelers, it's the Chiefs, it's the Bills, it's the Rams. 
Um, you know, you can throw in a couple other nine-win teams if you want to say Seattle, if you want to say the Browns, if you want to say the Titans. I can't honestly say I've, I've looked too closely into the Browns other than to marvel at the fact that they're, they are what they are right now. But, I mean, you've got your teams that are really good and you've got your teams that are really bad. And so you get a bunch of teams with really good records and a bunch of teams with really bad records because the good teams, for the most part, are just beating the living daylights out of the bad teams. And the only real variant here is you got fluky games like the Steelers game or like the Saints losing to uh, the Eagles. Those are fluky games. And occasionally you get two good teams banging into each other and you get one team has to lose. But, I mean, it's just what I said at the beginning of the year is... I would be happy with, and to some degree I expect, the team to have a worse record, but be a better team. And I think that's what this is. It's hard to say because the special teams has been such a disaster, and the defense has been confusing a little bit. And by that I mean we're not content with it, but it's also, you feel weird complaining about it. And I feel like we're all kind of in that same boat. I get messages from people all the time, like, look, I know they're not scoring a lot of points. And I know this, and I know that, and I know this, but it still feels like they kind of suck. And it's like, you know, I get that. <laughs> I know what you're saying. It's maybe not exactly what we want it to be. But it's another game in which the Packers' defense did hold the other team to less points. And look, it, I think that the issue is it always feels close. But the problem is, even when you're within 14 points, a game can feel close. I mean, at the end of the game, the Packers were up two scores, and we were all nervous because the offense was driving. I mean, I don't think we're going to be comfortable unless we're up by 21. And that's kind of stupid. I mean, I, you know, I mean, just, just from a practical standpoint, that's super rare for any team to be up so comfortably that with five minutes left in the game, you're just thinking, ah, there's no way. And I understand it's frustrating that you're allowing them to get, well, why don't you just stop? Yeah, I get it. But again, at the end of the day, it was 24 to, what, 31? That's a good score, man. There is nothing wrong with 31-24. That's a solid win. I mean, last year we played the Lions twice. We led for zero seconds. They were, every single one of them was last second field goals with zero seconds on the clock, having never led the game at all. We annihilated the Lions twice this year. Matt LaFleur, I believe, in his entire tenure has only lost once in the entire gamut of NFC North games. Once. He's like Lovey Smith, except he wants to beat the entire NFC North and also everybody else in the NFL. <laughs> Just 24 points is not bad, man. It just isn't, and I, I know it's it's not how we wanted it to happen. But, I mean, what what do you think happens in other games? Other uh, other teams aren't up by two scores with the other team driving, and, and the fans are sitting there thinking, shoot, because if they go down and they score, and then they kick an onside kick, and they recover it, and they go down and score, then it's tied, and then we go into overtime, and then if they get it and they score again, oh, then we lose. Like, if that's the source of stress that's driving us crazy, come on now. I mean, I get that it's possible, and I get that we don't want to feel that way. Like, just put it away. But, I, I, you know, I have a feeling these things happen. There were several blowouts this week, so there were several teams. I mean, I can't give you a lot of good examples this particular week because this was a crazy week with blowouts. Arizona won 26-7. I have a feeling they were pretty comfortable in, in the fourth, the half of the fourth quarter. Tennessee won 31-10, probably pretty comfortable. Dallas 30-7. Chicago 36-7. Seattle 40-3. It's exactly exactly like I said. I'm, I'm sitting here saying, I don't know, the Jets might win. On the other hand, Seattle's probably upset and they're just going to blow them out. I, I think I said a ridiculous number, and it wasn't even this ridiculous, like 30-3 to 3 or something I said. Ended up being 40-3. to 3. Indy blew out Las Vegas 44-27. to 27. They were probably pretty comfortable down the stretch. But, I mean, any game within two scores, you know, I mean, Tampa Bay beat Minnesota 26-14. to 14. If Minnesota has the ball with six minutes left in the fourth quarter, they have the ability to come within 
five points. That game isn't over. But nobody's going to sit here and look at it, and maybe you would if you watched it, and I did see a little bit of it. Nobody's going to look at this and go, 26-14, dude, Tampa Bay sucks, man. Why did you let them have the ball in the fourth quarter? That's ridiculous. I mean, again, I you know, in terms of perspective, um, I think, first of all, everything kind of stayed the same. Everything that we were somewhat upset with, we're still upset with. Special teams was a disaster again. However, kudos to our defense, because I, I would love to look at it and just do a recap of all the times special teams has failed and how many times in those moments the defense came up strong and stopped them. Mason Crosby kicked a 69-yard kick. Jamal Agnew, from four yards deep, takes it out and runs for 71 yards. Mason Crosby saved that. They ended up kicking a field goal on that drive. They started on their own uh, on the Green Bay 33-yard line and came away with a field goal. I know it's Chase Daniel, but still, time and time again, and that's that's critical. How many games do we lose if they don't do that? Granted, one of the games that they did it like seven times in a row was the Colts game, and we ended up losing it anyways, which was, I, I stand by the fact that it was absolutely a special teams issue. But, I mean, they came up clutch. And really, I mean, special teams, I think, for the most part, did good until that moment. Uh, Detroit had to drive down the field. Started at their own 25, their 19, their 25, their 20, their 14, their 25, their 25, and then the one Green Bay 33, which is a disaster. Still not okay. Still do not do that, please. But it is nice that for the most part, we force them to drive down the field. And so really what this comes down to is, well, let, let me finish my thought. Everything stayed the same in terms of fourth quarter defense was not exactly what you hope it would be, which was 10 points given up, started 28-24. Fourth quarter starts, they drive 52 yards, get a touchdown, it's now 21-28, right? So and then they get a field goal after that. So they had two drives, both of them were scoring drive. In the third quarter, they had one drive and they were forced to punt. Second quarter, it was one touchdown, one punt. First quarter, one touchdown, one punt. Fourth quarter, two drives, two scores. Again, they didn't have much of a chance on that second opportunity because they started in field goal range, but still, it, it gets frustrating. Or I should say I understand the frustration with it. Um, the the one big difference, though, I think, was the offense never really... I mean, it, it sputtered a couple times, and that was scary. Strangely, it was the second quarter, which is usually their, their strongest quarter. They punted twice. But outside of the, the second quarter, it was touchdown, 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 field goal, end of game. So you like that. And, and the other thing is the fourth quarter offense didn't sputter. That was the thing that was scary, right? That the fourth quarter defense is there. The Lions are driving. If the offense starts to sputter, not only am I going to be frustrated, but we may very well lose this game. Well, they drive, drove 41 yards and got a field goal. That's pretty good. And then, you know, you got that in the fourth quarter. We need to come up with something. And and by the way, kudos to Matt LaFleur on that final play because that was a tough decision to make. You don't want to throw the ball because you want to drain as much clock as possible. However, you don't want, I mean, I think it was third and five. So you're basically conceding. You've got the number one offense in football. You've got the number one quarterback in football. You've got the number one wide receiver, possibly the number one left tackle in football. This is a a powerhouse offense. Are you really going to play scared and not try to pick up this first? Because you're not going to get it if you run. I mean, it's possible there's some kind of a fluke, but they're going to load up. They're going to try to stop you, which, by the way, makes it a little bit more likely that you're going to convert, but it's still super high risk. And, and you know, somewhere out there is a coaching manual that says just run the ball. So, I mean, it is a tough call. And I remember sitting there thinking, I think you have to throw it here, but I know that's the wrong thing to do. 
But I mean, in, in reality, again, number one offense, you got to put your faith in your guys to close this game out, and you can't do it on the ground. You can't play scared. You can't back off on this one. And it was just, it was a perfect play call because sort of that happy medium is a very close, high percentage completion pass, kind of a halfway point, but it was great. You know, you got the play action. Everybody rolls one way. You got the tight end slipping out the other side. It's a high percentage play. Give it to him in space. He's got to beat one guy. He did his job. First down, game over. But again, it just comes down to the offense needs to execute, and time and time again, they do. So really, the, the makeup of the Packers, and everybody has this kind of thing. Nobody has the number one offense and the number one defense. They just don't. The name of the game for the Green Bay Packers is the offense needs to keep their foot on the gas. The defense needs to do just enough. And they do do just enough. The fact of the matter is, especially with the offense able to put together such long drives, teams don't have the ball very often. right? The, the length of the drives on both offense and defense means the scores generally are kind of low. I mean, you look at 31-24, you wouldn't assume there was pretty much scoring on almost every drive. But there was. I mean, there were a handful of punts, but this game never had the opportunity to be like 41-35 or whatever because they just don't have that many opportunities to even score. And so the fact of the matter is it's the, the goal of the defense is to force them. And, and it, I mean, this is similar to what it was in 2011. It was the same routine. The defense just has to do enough to, I mean, if you force them to kick a f- couple field goals, you might win the game because you got to try to keep pace with the Packers. Now, that maybe that strategy isn't always going to work. You're going to want the defense to do a little bit extra, but generally speaking, that's the strategy. If we score a touchdown, don't let them score a touchdown, right? If you want to exchange a touchdown for a field goal, we'll take it. If you can get them to punt, even better. But that's been the name of the game for a while, and, the, and, and I know for a lot of us that's not good enough, but it's going to have to be. Again, this isn't the number one defense in football, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. But they do generally do a good enough job to slow them down, get the ball away, force field goals to keep that score low. And again, 24 points. Keep in mind, a really, really good football team is the Chicago Bears. The Lions with Daryl Bevel, all this newfound energy, scored 34 points against the Chicago Bears. They come here to score 24. This is a fired-up, motivated Detroit Lions team that scored 34 points, which is tied for the most points they scored all season against one of the top defenses in football. The last time they played under Matt Patricia, they only scored 23. This time they scored 34. They play at home against Green Bay and only muster 24 points. Again, to some degree, our defense deserves a little bit of credit. Could it be better? Sure. Should it be better? Sure. I think one of the other... um, One of the other things to consider that's kind of unfortunate for the defensive side of the ball is if one guy has a bad day on defense, everybody knows because the offense gets the opportunity to dictate what happens with the ball. And so, for example, if Kevin King's having a bad day, they can keep throwing at him, and it basically means the whole defense looks like garbage because the offense keeps moving down the field. What happens in the game is completely dictated by any one guy that has a bad day on defense. Now, on the offensive side of the ball... You've got guys that can disappear for three weeks at a time and you don't even notice it. Why? Because the offense gets to dictate who gets the ball. If Devontae, for whatever reason, isn't having a big day, which is probably a bad example, let's say Robert Tunyon is just not exactly killing it, well, we throw to Alan Lazard, we throw to MVS, we throw to Devontae Adams, we run with Aaron Jones, we run with Jamal Williams, throw a couple to Mercedes, Tavon Austin, all these other guys we got out there, EQ, 
and you don't even notice it. You say, hey, the offense is great, and we cheer and celebrate and say, darn you, defense. And he just flies under the radar like nothing happened. And three weeks of doing nothing end, and he comes out week four, dominates, gets, you know, 84 yards and two touchdowns, and it's he's the greatest tight end in the world. That doesn't happen on defense. If you disappear from, if, if Zadarius disappears for three weeks, we know. Because if the defense doesn't do his job, we look at his stats, and we say he's not doing good enough. We track those things. We know when the quarterback has time in the pocket, like he did this past week. Where are the pass rushers? You can't hide, man. Especially especially these pass rushers, because again, the way that they seem to get to the quarterback is everybody does their job and compresses the pocket. I saw several times you'd have Rashawn, for example, fire off the edge and actually do a good job. I remember one of the times in particular I saw this, because I'm trying to think to myself, why aren't they getting home? And so when they do the replay, I key in on Rashawn. I say, okay, what is he doing right now? He won. He got the guy beat, and he pushed him to basically where the quarterback was, but he, the, Matt Stafford moved the pocket, and he was able to do so because to the quarterback's left, the defensive right side of the, the field, nobody was there. Nobody was there. And so he just shifted to his left and was able to complete a path. It doesn't do any good as a pass rusher to win if nobody else does their job. I mean, granted, there are times when a guy just fires off the edge and is able to get a full-on rush and take a guy down. I think when Rashawn got his sack, that was essentially what that was. He beat the guy so that there was nobody between him and the quarterback, and he just beelined for him. Right? Dean Lowry, kind of the same thing. Right? He just came clean. But again, we, we will notice. And so there's, there tends to be a lot more scrutiny. If anything, it's almost the exact opposite. We forget how good Jair is because we don't see him. It's another game. We just didn't see him. The only time you saw him, he was just making plays, making great open field tackles, tried to throw at him on third down. He just not, not happening. He shut that down real quick. The only time I saw completed passes to him is when he was playing off, and they just threw to him real quick, and he came up and made the tackles. So, I mean, it'll definitely be interesting to mull through the statistics specifically. Um, One of the difficult things is we can't watch every player on every play, so depending who you watched and when, you probably had a different opinion. I thought Kenny Clark had a really good day. Because the, the few times, you know, when the ball's about to be snapped, I said, okay, I'm watching Kenny on this play, or I'm watching Rashawn on this play. I usually try to pick one person to watch. Usually when I watch Kenny, not every time, he did a decent job. I mean, we saw he finally got his sack, right? That's, what, two on the season now. I think he may have had another pressure in there. I think the first play of the game I watched Kenny, fantastic run stop. I mean, he had a guy, threw the guy to his left to make a tackle, forces the running back to jump through the other hole, so Kenny throws the defensive or the offensive lineman to the other side of him and makes a grab and brings him down. I mean, just manhandled the guy in front of him and made a tackle. That was a great play. But some other guys are watching Kenny, and whenever they watch him, said he wasn't doing enough. He wasn't doing anything. So, again, that's why it's nice to get the PFF perspective. I know some of you guys don't like it, but I also know that you guys don't like it when it says negative things but love it when it says positive things or things that you believe. So I, I don't take that uh, too much to heart. I mean, we'll, we'll put out a graphic that shows Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in football. Not one Packer fan comes out and says, PFF sucks, right? They're never going to do that. They're going to share that like crazy as though PFF was the gospel. They're going to be going, knocking door to door, saving souls with PFF. But you say, you know, maybe Zadarius has a bunch of sacks, but it's inflated. He's not grading out that well. You come at guys like Kevin King, say Darnell Savage last week had a bad week, you know. Obviously, they're trash and they don't know what they're talking about, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Again, if you're going to put in the work and watch the film and come to a different conclusion, cool. If you're not, then just, you know, I mean, what are you ba- What are you even basing it? I don't get that. That's, that's, that's my rule. 
If you disagree with PFF, do not come at me until you go back and watch every single snap by yourself. I thought Kenny had a great day. Cool, go back and watch it. Every snap. And I want you to actually grade it out. Make your own grading scale, doesn't matter, because I don't want you to misremember. But anyways, no, I thought it was good. And, and you know, at the end of the day, the, the Packers are... We talk about any given Sunday, but it's sort of a, a fake thing. We act as though there's this this force in the universe that can't be stopped, that if it lands on you, you're going to lose to a bad team. That's not necessarily true. You know, I, I, I make it out to be more uncontrollable than it is, only because there's so many variables, it's, it's inevitable. But at the end of the day, really good teams have less situations in which they lose. To good teams, to bad teams, whatever. It's why good teams tend to have better records. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Bad teams aren't just bad teams because they lose to good teams. They also lose to bad teams sometimes. Good teams aren't just good teams because they're able to beat good teams. It's because they consistently beat the bad teams, even when things aren't exactly going right. And the Packers have, have avoided these catastrophic losses to bad teams. You know, they could have lost to Detroit in Week 2. They could have lost to Atlanta in Week 4. They could have lost to Houston in Week 7. They could have easily lost to San Francisco in Week 9, and we wouldn't have even been surprised. Could have lost to Jacksonville. Almost did. Could have definitely lost to the Bears. Definitely could have lost to the Eagles. We lost to them last year. But they didn't. They find ways to win. It's really no different than what happened last year. And, the you know, the interesting thing is, as much as the the team is different and the defense doesn't seem to be quite as good, they have less of a quote-unquote fraudulent feel to them, if you will. And I know we didn't like that term to begin with, but but we know what it means. right? You look at them and say, you know, if you were really good, I feel like this kind of thing wouldn't happen. We haven't had a ton of those kinds of games. Again, 24-31 is a legitimate win against an NFL team. 30-16 to against the Eagles is a very legitimate win. 41-25 to against the Bears, against that defense, very legitimate win. Losing to the Colts 31-34 in overtime is not optimal, but it doesn't feel fraudulent. Beating the Jaguars 24-20, to maybe not ideal, but it's a win. Beating the San Francisco 49ers 34-17 to is a dominant performance. Losing to the Vikings, 22-28, divisional game. It happens. Doesn't feel like, ugh, how could that possibly happen? How could you lose to that team? It doesn't have that feel. Beating the Texans, 35-20, very legitimate. 15-point win is dominant. Tampa Bay Buccaneers game is the one game that leaves that bad taste in your mouth that's like, oh, this team, I tell you what. That's the unacceptable, you can't have games like that long. But 30-16 against the Falcons. 37-30 against the Saints, 42-21 against the Detroit Lions, and 43-34 against the Vikings. These are all, for the most part, pretty good wins. You know, it's it's sort of like one of those times when you, you want to hear people complain about the refs and you won by 15 points. It's like, you know, I'm not sure that's going to fly all that well. You beat them so bad that, that they don't even bother complaining about the refs, that's a good win. And so they're, they're a team that um, I don't think there's a whole lot that you can argue about. The, the Packers haters don't have a lot of material to work with. You, again, you haven't played anyone. First of all, again, nobody's played anyone. And again, you don't get to 10-3 and three if you're a bad team. You can't accidentally get to 10-3 and three because bad teams lose to really good teams. They lose to mediocre teams that are on their level. And they're more prone to losing to bad teams because they're more inconsistent. They've got more holes. They've got more weaknesses. You cannot be a mediocre, subpar team and get to 10 wins. It's not going to happen. 
right? Bad teams that play the Vikings, the Lions, the Saints, the Falcons, the Buccaneers, the Texans, the Vikings, the 49ers, the Jaguars, the Colts, the Bears, and the Eagles do not come out on top in the Lions again with 10 wins and three losses. Doesn't matter if most of these teams are mediocre or bad. Again, every team that has played in the NFL has played mostly mediocre or bad teams because there's not that many good teams. Nobody has only played the Chiefs and the Steelers and the Bills and the Packers and the Saints. I mean, there's not a team that's had that schedule only. You're given a schedule. You're given zero guarantees in any one of your games. You have to find a way to win them. Packers are winning them, and they're winning them convincingly. Yeah, it would be great if we won by double digits every single week. That'd be cool. And we do a lot of the time. Again, I mean, mean, you want to talk about spoiled. We come off a 41-25 win and a 30-16 win, and we're going to complain because it's 31-24, you know. Again, if, if anything, it's about growth. And, and if anything, we saw growth. Because, again, special teams still a problem. Fourth quarter defense still not exactly what you'd like it to be. But fourth quarter offense, no stalling out whatsoever. Kept being aggressive. Kept playing well. Closed out the game. This growth. Jair still playing at a high level. Again, we'll, we'll see about the specifics on things. But um, it's hard to look at this and say this isn't a good team that's getting better, which is what you want. And I think it is. I think it's a good team that's getting much better. And again, I'll remind you before our break here, Aaron Rodgers' declaration after that Colts game, they went to practice and he said we, we, something to the effect of we stopped practicing like a good team and started practicing like a great team or something. Like it finally clicked. And again, they put together 41-25, 30-16, and now 31-24. And and again, we get the reminders from around the NFL that nothing is guaranteed. This, This wasn't a guaranteed win. We can't just count this in the books and say, not only do I expect you to win, but I expect you to win convincingly, and it should be 14-42 to 42 or I'm not happy. There are no guarantees. Kansas City nearly lost to Miami. San Francisco got beat by Washington. I know San Francisco isn't exactly the greatest team in the world, which makes me so unbelievably happy. I can't even tell you. I hate that team so much. But losing to Washington 23-15, to 15, that kind of sucks a little bit. And again, the big one. The Saints, I mean, it's the destiny is in their hands. All they have to do is win. And there's really only one real tough game on the schedule. I mean, the Vikings are tough. But, I mean, the Chiefs, that's that's it, man. That's the big one. But, you know, the Packers don't have the... I mean, they got the Titans. There's a good chance at some point they lose a game. 12-4 and four seems fairly realistic for the Packers. And, you know, the Chiefs are looking at it saying, we can lose a game and still be good. You just can't do stuff like this. We can't go down 24-21 to the Eagles. And that's that's a failure on both sides of the ball. The defense gave up what, 17 points in a quarter? Granted, they stiffened up after that, but it's all it's too late, clearly. And then the 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 Saints offense only putting up 21 is is below standards. But it happens, you know? That's that's my whole point. It happens. And if you get just the right day where the Eagles catch fire on the same day that your defense falls apart for just a quarter and your offense can't quite muster it up this, you know, this week. That's it. That's all it takes. That's the formula. Game over. So anyways, we got to take a break here, come back and marvel at some of the the stats and some of the insights from uh, the NFL.com. So many great things. But uh, first of all, I want to give a special shout out to Elena. Thank you very much for the Venmo donation. Very greatly appreciated. I think I said thank you already, but I'm just just to cover my bases here. I want to say thank you to Oscar. Let's say again for the, uh, the Patreon donation. If you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you're not a fan of that there is venmo cash app all those extra things there uh every little bit again it means a ton again the biggest and best thing you can do just get the word out tell people about the podcast 
Um, invite people to the group, invite people to the, the pages, Cheese and Packers and Packernet Podcast, and then just allow us to do all the evangelizing and whatnot. I did see a, a big surge of uh, people requesting to get in the group, and I have to assume somebody invited people, so whoever that was, thank you. And just a quick plug to my YouTube channel, Pack Daddy NFL, today at noon, and I decided to kick it back to noon. I was doing 5 o'clock, but 5 o'clock is kind of the, the money time. I don't want to release it on 5 because it takes a while for the YouTube algorithm to kind of kick up. So I'm going to release it at noon, let YouTube find out it's out there, bump it up the rating so that when 5 o'clock hits, I don't miss the, the rush hour. But anyways, at noon, I'm doing my first round mock draft. So obviously the Packers are going to be making their first round selection. I think you'll be very happy with it this week, especially if you didn't like last week. Uh, not only is it a position, well, maybe you won't. I don't even know. It'll be interesting. Get in the comment section and let me know. But if nothing else, great player at a fantastic value that fell way down the board, so it'll be a pretty exciting one. Um, after that, I do team mocks, so I've got uh, most of them already done and ready to go. Panthers tomorrow, Atlanta Falcons on Wednesday, Miami Dolphins on Thursday. The other ones are, I mean, the mocks are done, but I just have to get them edited and uh, ready to go and whatnot. So anyways, Pack Daddy NFL, thank you very much. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So just as a, I should look it up, a couple things that I think will help our perspective just before we get in here. Only if you need it. I know some of you guys are like, stop telling me about perspective. I have perspective. I, I, I know I need it a lot of the times. Um, I get way too stressed. I get, you know, whatever. By the way, I, I forget to plug it, but there is a Packernet newsletter, uh, Dyer, Dyer. I, I love calling him Dyer because it's spelled like Jair. Dara is how you pronounce it. Um, does such an unbelievable job on this newsletter. 
let me just run through this real quick while I'm here. Uh, the first section is a weekly recap. He's got a full three paragraphs. He's got the final score and all that stuff. Uh, just reading the first couple sentences. Last Sunday's victory felt like one of the most satisfying Packers victories in the last few years. Aaron Rodgers racked up his 400th career passing touchdown before. I mean, what? Just, just the the record of these. You know, I want to just save all of these newsletters so that I can go back and just look. I mean, you want to talk about an on this day in history? Go back to last year's newsletter at this time and find out what was going on. I'm actually excited. I, I can't wait until we're one year into this so I can start doing that. Um, the next section is playoff picture, kind of just going over where we are. Talk, you know, Packers got a big favor from the Giants. Seahawks fell a game. Next section is what's next. Kind of moving on to the Lions, looking at that. Uh, he's got key matchups. Then you get into the super fun stuff, stat of the week. He says, I'm officially calling Devontae Adams the best wide receiver in the NFL. After last week's 120-yard performance, Adams is the fourth in NFL receiving. Da -da 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 -da. Stats to remember, Packers are PFF's highest-graded passing offense. Lions are the lowest-graded passing defense. Packers are putting up points on the road. I gotta have him start sending me this so I can have some some of his information for the show. Packers are putting up points on the road. They lead the league 31.7 per game, ranked 19th in this category last season. So these are the kinds of stats you get in your inbox every single week. He also has this week in history, one of the most important weeks in Packers history, especially back in the early days. The Packers won four NFL titles in this week over the years: 36, 39, 44, and 61. We got birthdays, which is always exciting. Which Packers birthday? Um, says, trust me, we have two jam-packed weeks of birthdays coming up, including names like Reggie White, Devontae Adams, and Ray Nitschke. But I had to find one for this week, so happy birthday to Mike Sherman, <laughs> former head coach of the Packers from 2000 to 2005. But anyways, the I mean, he's got fantasy stardom sit him in here, which is great. But I wanted to come in here to look at the score prediction. All three of us, strangely, had the Lions at 28 point. Dara and JJ had the Packers in the 40. My score prediction was 34-28. So again, it's 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 nice to do this stuff because as much as I want to gripe and complain, I expected the Lions to get 28 points. All three of us. Coincidentally, again, I didn't know. I just sent in my score prediction. None of us had a single conversation about what was going to happen, so there's zero group think here. Dara and JJ had almost the exact same score for the Packers as well. But, I mean, I expected 34-28. The, the defense overperformed based on what my expectations were coming into this game. So I, I have to wrestle with that. Forget your perspective. I'm telling you about the perspective I need. I come into this frustrated. Why isn't the defense doing better? Why can't that guy tackle? Then you look at it and say, dude, you said they were going to score 28. They scored 24. I mean, I've said, I've said this every single week, almost every single week without fail. As angry as you get at the defense, if I told you the score was going to be this, would you be mad? And the answer is almost always no. It's almost as if it's not what's happening it's the way it's happening that's annoying us but anyways that that was uh that was why i wanted to, to jump on here because i wanted to see what my score prediction was i mean i was relatively close other than i gave the packers one additional field goal and uh, i expected the lions to do a little bit better so that and watching other games and and not just watching them but genuinely cheering for a team pick the the best team that that's there right even if you want them to actually lose try to root for them and pretend it's the Packers I've done it a couple times and it's amazing how angry you get at that team because again I, I just think in our our minds do little tricks mine does at least and maybe yours doesn't and you know whatever but just we we get it's kind of like when our kids do stuff that isn't great you know you always expect your kids to be perfect when you're not perfect it drives me nuts because it makes me feel like I'm an idiot why are you making me look stupid dude your grandmother's talking to you. You have to look her in the face and talk. Like, how do you not know basic stuff like that? 
Come on, man. You're making me look stupid here. Respond! I don't know if that's part of it, if it's a pride thing or what, but again, really watch it. Watch the Chiefs and just expect dominance and just, you know, that's your team, that's the Packers, and, and they, they just, they their offense is perfect, their defense is perfect. When you come into it with that perspective, suddenly you start to see all the flaws everybody has. I mean, go watch Tampa. Am I scared of Tampa? Of course I am. Tom Brady looked like hot garbage. The guy couldn't hit the broadside of a freaking barn. He was overthrowing everybody. I saw Pat Mahomes, one of I mean, first of all, that 40-yard sack was stupid. I saw one of his two picks, uh, one of his three picks, but I think he had two like in the first quarter or something. One of them was just a massive overthrow. I mean, he was way over the guy. The guy tried to jump up. He barely tipped it. It went up in the air and got picked. That's a garbage throw. But I thought Pat Mahomes didn't do that. No, that's, that's, that's the media painting a picture of this deity. It's not real. Even when they do it to Rodgers, it's not real. He's a human being. Not everything he does is perfect. You know, Devontae is about as close to perfect as I've seen where you really struggle to find a flaw. But, I mean, I, I you know, I'm sure he's done a couple of these, taken a step he wasn't supposed to somewhere, and I just i am not smart enough to see where that is. If you scour the universe, I'm sure you see Devontae do something wrong. But th- those are my only two tips. Come up with a score prediction. And then it, it also helps during the game because... I came into this with 28 points, and at one point, the Lions, I think after they scored seven, I was annoyed. And I remember reminding myself, okay, you said they were going to score 28. You can't get to 28 without getting seven. Kind of common sense, correct? So what's the what's the problem here? But again, our brains construct this thing where we couldn't stop them on that drive. That means we'll never be able to stop them, and they're going to get to 41, and we're just, we're doomed, and we're going to lose, and we're not even going to get in the playoffs, and we're going to lose, and we're not a good team, we're a fraud. Oh, again. That's my brain, and I'm, I'm, I'm able to reel it in and, like, talk that part of my brain down, but I'm just, I know it's up there. There's, there's somewhere in there is a voice that just flips out, like, dude, relax. Anyways, all right, stats in this game, Aaron Rodgers, 26 of 23, 290 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, another just absolutely unbelievable, dominant performance from Aaron Rodgers. I doubt he's going to be able to eclipse his PFF grade from last week, but I mean, it was a long time before he got his first inter- uh, first incompletion. The guy was just doing a great job. Aaron Jones looking good. The one thing that I've noticed about this team is they don't run the ball well early, but they wear you down. They do a good job of sticking to the run, and by the third and fourth quarter, they start getting chunks, and it seems like every time they run the ball, it's eight yards. So that's another thing to keep that perspective. When we run the ball and we don't get a lot of yards and we get annoyed and we say, just stop running, just quit, we suck at it. Just remember, there's a method to this madness. They're going to stick with it. It also is setting up play action, which is lethal for Aaron Rodgers this year. They're going to stick with the run. It's going to start working. It's going to open up play action. Just hang in there. 15 carries, 69 yards, 4.6 average. Jamal, 10 carries, 38 yards, 3.8 average. Not the greatest, but again, he didn't get hardly anything to start. He started getting chunks later, and he was a, a critical piece getting those big chunks later in the game, converting first downs and whatnot. He, did, he had a great game despite the yards per attempt. In my opinion, Aaron Rodgers had six carries. He, he did a lot of run in this game, um, which is another cool dynamic because toward the, I guess it was the second quarter when we had a hard time getting guys open, which is annoying because they have terrible corners and we have really good wide receivers. Why is nobody getting open? It was kind of a a scary moment. Like, please don't start doing this. They got it corrected, which, hey, let's talk about that for a minute. You want to talk about growth? How about in-game adjustments? How about that? I can't speak to Pettin or Menenga because apparently Matt LaFleur has to do their jobs for them too. Just a rumor, by the way, but I had heard, I don't know if the announcer said it and I missed it or what. Matt LaFleur 
at halftime told Petten we need to make this adjustment. They made that adjustment and they changed things. JJ in the chat said he had heard that, um, and Coach Hahn in the in our group chat had said that he had noticed that they had made a, an adjustment at halftime. Again, if that's true, it really does point, in my opinion, to Mike Petten not being around. Because, again, it's not just about production, and I do think they're producing, and I think that the scores are fine and all that stuff. When you have an offensive-minded head coach telling the defensive coordinator to do things and then calling a timeout on a onside kick because they're not set up right and he, te- he forces the special teams coach to make an adjustment, that kind of stuff can't fly. You can't have your boss come in and tell you how to do your job. That's not great for job security. Anyways, uh, Rogers scrambling around and whatnot. Devontae Adams, another 100-yard game, seven receptions, 115 yards and a touchdown. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, six receptions, 85 yards and a touchdown. Um, I know Bukowski had pointed this out on Twitter, so I'll, I'll give him credit for it, but the first thought I had in my mind when I saw MVS catch a back shoulder touchdown pass was what are you going to do to stop this offense I mean I think the most lethal thing ever that I've ever seen on a Packers offense was the back shoulder throws to Jordy Nelson I mean you want to talk about the most unstoppable unbeatable thing in the universe it was a back shoulder throw from Aaron Rodgers to Jordy Nelson it was just the most unfair thing I've ever seen in my life I know Devontae is a better wide receiver but that right there was the most lethal unstoppable thing in the universe they are now perfecting that with Devontae. I don't know that he's at Jordy's level, but they're starting to do that more regularly, where it's just a dead sprint down the field. Rodgers launches it. They keep running, and then they throw the back shoulder. Devontae's really starting to hit that. Now we got MVS doing it. If, if our speed guy, first of all, it's the guy that has the issues with the drops and whatnot, right? So now all of a sudden he's got great hands. Where did that come from? But beyond that, you have to worry about his speed. One of the worst things you can have with a guy with his speed especially considering how tall he is, you know, long arms and all that makes it even more lethal for those back shoulders. Think about what do you want to do to a speed guy? You can't let him get behind you. Well, if you start getting out too far in front of him and they throw back shoulders, how are you going to stop that? So now we're throwing back shoulder fades to Marquez Valdez-Scantling in the end zone, who uses his long arms to reach over guys, his strong hands to hold onto the ball as it's being swatted away and, and score touchdowns. What in the absolute world is that? So now that's a thing. Sorry, rest of the NFL. Uh, Robert Tunyon, five receptions, 36 yards, and a TD. Um, Continuing on with his great season. I know I've been... Again, I'm trying to bring some level of perspective to Tunyon because I think it's a little over the top, but, I mean, he is a consistent contributor, and it is above and beyond the Richard Rodgers-type things because of, number one, the amount of deep passes. He does have a lot of big receptions down the field, and keep in mind, he, uh, he does have a lot of speed. He's a fast dude. I forget exactly what he runs. I should look it up, but he's fast. 4.63 is what it's listed as here. I mean, he's one of those guys that went undrafted that's just a boatload of potential if he could ever figure it out. Because 4.63 is fast. I think Jace is in the 4.7s. So he's six foot five, two thirty six, runs a 4.63. I mean, he has that ability to to get deep, and, it, and it's working. And then you add in that he's also doing a good job getting open on touchdowns. So scheme or not, consistency or not, he is a weapon. And the, the benefit is he doesn't have to be Travis Kelsey and carry the team every single week because there's so many guys, right? Like Kittle and Kelsey, I think, are, are next-level guys that be, even if they're the only weapon on the field, they're going to beat you. If they're the main focus of the game, they're going to beat you. Robert Tunyon is like fourth on the list of guys that defensive coordinators care about. I made up that number, but it feels roughly correct. Devontae, clearly. Lazard, 
you care about more. MVS, you probably care about more. Aaron Jones, you probably care about more. So I, I would say maybe fifth, somewhere in that range. But um, again, with, with so many weapons here, if he pops up once every two to three weeks, or even just in a game to pop up and get that one touchdown reception or something, he just, like everybody else, you know, you got Devontae who's every week. Then you got guys that just, they pop up. Marquez isn't an every week guy, but he pops up and man, when he shows up, it's big. Lazard, same thing. I mean, he only had two receptions for 19 yards this week. It's not that great, but we didn't need him because Adams had 115 yards and a touchdown. MVS had 85 and a touchdown. Bobby Touchdowns had 36 yards and a touchdown. Just didn't need him this week. So, you know, again, it's 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 not an every week thing for all these guys outside of Devontae, but um, there's just there's just so many weapons. Equinemius, one for 15 yards. Tavon Austin, two receptions for eight yards. Super excited to have him. I mean, he just... He came on the field week one, and it's as, as though Tyler Irvin never left. It just it felt like Tyler Irvin. We didn't really get an opportunity to see him do any return. Um, he didn't really have too much space to roam. But, I mean, you see him get in, get in the action doing those kinds of things, and he looked like he's ready to do those kinds of things. And, again, we're, we're easing him in, but it just it feels like, again, it's just another one of those guys where if he just has a game, he doesn't have to carry the team. And, and that was the biggest issue with Tavon in a lot of his previous teams is, he was supposed to be the number one guy on the team. We're asking him to be a solid number six, <laughs> right? I mean, when everybody else is accounted for, you make like two or three big plays in a game, help us convert like two or three touchdown or uh, first down. That's good enough. Mercedes Lewis had one for six. Aaron Jones, two receptions, six yards. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, four pass deflections. You had uh, Zadarius got his one. We also had Amos, Ale- Jair Alexander, and Kingsley Kiki. Kiki and Smith had those two back-to-back pass deflections that were pretty critical. Obviously, Amos and Jair were in coverage. Tackles for a loss, Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Rashawn Gary. Sacks follow pretty similarly, Darnell Savage, Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Rashawn Gary. Um, couple extra thoughts before I close this out here. One of the things that I've noticed is the success rate, and it, it wasn't always this way. There were times when we would bring extra pressure, and it just never did anything, and I hated that we did it because what's the point? You bring extra pressure, nobody gets home, and then somebody's open. It feels like these days when we bring extra pressure, somebody gets home. Darnell Savage has been doing great. Come on, Martin absolutely wrecked, wrecked Matt Stafford. So it seems to be a pretty high-success proposition, and obviously it's a high-risk and sometimes you're not going to get home and you expose yourself and all that, but it feels like it really has a high success rate, and I'd like to see that continue to be incorporated um, because, again, it's working. Next up, if I were to give out a game ball, I think it would have to go to Mason Crosby. The score before he hit his field goal was 28-21. to 21. If he misses that field goal, the Lions can charge down the field and instead of kicking a field goal, go for a touchdown and possibly get the touchdown and possibly tie the game. In fact, there was basically a 10-point swing because of Mason Crosby on two plays. He banged a, it says 57 here, I'm pretty sure it was said 58, I don't know if they changed it or what, nearly 60-yard field goal for three points to put us up two scores to more or less put this away. I mean, if, if we now know at the end result that they're going to kick an onside kick and not get it, which I could just strangle everybody for the way that that went down because they, in my opinion, they basically got it. I mean, if the guy just does his job and doesn't step out of bounds, they recover that. Just super annoying. But on the ensuing uh, kickoff, 
it was returned, and basically the only reason it wasn't a touchdown is because Mason Crosby hit the guy out of bounds. And I know, why can't J.K. Scott? I don't know, man. But again, it's massive kudos if you do it, not a lot of negative if you don't. The point is, it never should have happened. And so he saved seven points on the very next play. That's a 10-point swing. Even if we deduct three because they ended up getting a field goal out of it, fine. Seven then. So very rarely do we give uh, kudos, especially to a special teamer. But, um, I mean, that, that that's beyond clutch. And that guy's done so much for this team. I mean, he's one of the – special teams is one of those things that nobody cares about it until it's bad, right? When your punter is bad, you don't care about a punter until you get a really, really bad one, and then you really, really care about punter. You don't care about special teams until your unit is just horrible, and then you care about it. You don't care about a return guy until they start kicking it to the one-yard line every time because they know your guy sucks and you have to start at the 10 every week, which, by the way, I'm not, I, we didn't use Tavon on, on kick return, but I just wonder if that's part of the reason you rush out and, and find a new solution because all you want is for them to just kick it out of the end zone. Stop kicking it to the one, please. It's all you're asking for, and they essentially did that. So I, I think it was Jamal back there for whatever reason, but I, I, apparently they're scared of Jamal more so than they were of the other disasters we've had back there. Finally, the insights. Aaron Rodgers has 55 career games with three-plus passing touchdowns, zero interceptions, tied for second most in the NFL since 1950. The Packers scored 30-plus points and had zero giveaways for the ninth time this season, tied for most games in a single season since 1940. 30 points and no turnovers nine times this year. Crazy. Aaron Rodgers is now 6-0 in his career versus the Lions in December when he starts and finishes the game. Aaron Rodgers has 2-plus passing touchdowns and 100-plus passer rating in 12 games this season, tied for third most such games in a single season since 1950. MVP, thank you very much. The Packers have scored 30 or more points in 10 games this season, the second most such games in a single season since 1940. Devontae Adams has 100-plus receiving yards for the sixth time this season, the most such games by a Packers player in a single season since Jordy did it in 2014. Note to self, season's not over yet. Little, little... (laughs) Oh, man. Little shout-out to the Lions here. The Lions have scored 20 or more points in 12 of their first 13 games of the season for the second time in the Super Bowl era. So, golf clap for the Lions on... uh, doing something with that franchise (laughs) also the lions have trailed by 10 plus points in eight of the 13 games this season so a little bit of a difference robert tanyan has one or more receiving touchdowns in four straight games longest streak for green bay tight end since 1970 tanyan's tanyan's four yard score in the fourth quarter was his ninth receiving touchdown this season most by a tight end in a single season from aaron Rodgers. Devontae Adams has five or more receptions and one receiving touchdown in eight straight games tied for longest single-season streak in NFL history. Devontae Adams, it just keeps on going and going and going, has one or more receiving touchdowns in eight straight games, longest streak in franchise history. Devontae Adams' 56-yard score in the first quarter was his 24th career receiving touchdown versus versus the NFC North, the most by any player versus one division since 2014. Do I have to reiterate how special this season is? I feel like I don't need to. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.